Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we've got a special treat for you. Not only is this the season four finale, but we also have Tim from Funny Science Fiction. Special guest Tim, Woo-hoo. the podcast guy, as he cheekily names himself, which I love. So this one is totally bonkers because as soon as you turn it on, it is red text. There's a red Clone Wars logo as we move into the Clone Wars season four, episodes 21 and 22, Brothers and Revenge. The uh, fortune cookie for this one, a fallen enemy may rise again, but a reconciled one is truly vanquished. So on the heels of the previous episode where we see what happens to Asajj and the Night Sisters, we're wondering what happened to Savage Opress as he also was running away from that incredible three-way battle between him, Dooku, and Asajj. On Sereno, Dooku senses something sinister, something rising, and he's in his castle, and he's like, General Grievous, things are about to get crazy, and Grievous is like, that doofus? And Dooku's like, yeah, he may have the power to destroy the Jedi and the Sith. So, meanwhile, in a diner somewhere in the Outer Rim, it is falling apart. It is crazy. It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction as Savage Opress is choking out some random gal trying to eat pancakes. And he runs away right as the cops are coming in. And he starts following a trail because he has this amulet that Mother Talzin gives him, which will help him find his brother. And the amulet starts glowing as he touches the dust. So Savage has been finding clues all over the galaxy, and he's been so frustrated. And he finally found something that triggers this talisman that Mother Talzin gave him, which is this red dust that's caked onto cargo that's being offloaded from a ship. So he climbs aboard the ship, takes the ship over from its owner, and gets sent to the planet Lothal Minor, which is a trash planet. Right then, Anakin and Ahsoka show up, and they're like, I'm hungry. Let's go to this sketchy diner. They sit down. They see that there's been an incident. The police are like, nothing to see here. So they sit down, and Anakin is distinctly perturbed by something sinister and something familiar. But that is the last we see of them. I love that the only time we see them in this arc, they're just eating pancakes. They're like, you know, we're here for pit stop. This this diner is definitely a pancake place. So Savage flies this crazy ship, which lands like a dog when he finally throws the pilot out into a pile of trash on this trash planet. And he's following his talisman as he lands on this planet. And it's just full of junk massive piles of junk everything's hazy and red there's twisted piles of metal there's these big junker metal monsters that breathe fire and there is a snake person named morley who starts very creepily guiding him along past the fire breathers and looking out for the junkers Savage uh, gets attacked by the Junkers. He carves a path through them. And he eventually, when the acid rain kicks in and starts dissolving his armor, him and Morley crawl into this hut that is full of these dead Junkers. And Savage's little amulet turns from green to off. And he's like, I've come so far. What is going on? And he goes full Savage rampage and starts throwing bodies everywhere. And he says, Mother Talzin betrayed me. And Morley says, She's not the only one who betrayed you. And he slaps the floor and drops Savage to his master so he can eat the scraps after. Savage falls down like 100 feet straight down this hole. And he's in a dark passageway and there is something lurking. Something is skittering around. 
some enormous arachnid something. Savage is kind of fearless about the whole thing. He turns on his lightsaber as if it was a torch and wanders through this maze of passageways underneath, calling out for his brother, when all of a sudden this spider tackles him. And they're in this brawl, and finally the amulet lights up enough to light up the face, and we see that that face looks like Darth Maul. Darth Maul is completely insane. He's skittering around his little campfire. and He's ranting, he's raving. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he laughs, and then he starts crying, and he's mumbling incoherently. But Savage gets the truth out of him. So... Morley comes in and is like, I'm ready for my leftovers. And Savage chokes him out, throws him on the fire. But then he says, who took your legs? And Maul says, Jedi. Jedi scum took my legs. So after all of that, which is, you know, Savage actually doing a credible job of talking Maul down from eviscerating him like the mecha spider that he is, we cut to Coruscant. Kenobi is called into Yoda's little Yoda lair. Yoda is sitting there, obviously disturbed as well. He's like, okay, Obi-Wan, I summoned you here because I'm sure you felt the disturbance in a forest. Bad things are happening. One of your enemies who you thought was dead turns out, JK, LOL, it is Maul. He's back. Dun, dun, dun. And then smash cut to revenge, which is the final episode of season four. Mm-hmm. The fortune cookie is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Also, this one is in red text as well. It is very striking to see the text change. So Savage takes his brother Maul back to Mother Talzin on Dathomir to begin helping him realize his revenge. When they land on Dathomir, Savage finds the aftermath of the massacre from the titular episode Massacre. (laughs) There's like fresh Night Sister bodies and less fresh Night Sister zombie bodies all over the ground. But Mother Talzin is still alive and she lures Maul onto the Night Sister ritual block with a glowing green orb as she does to do what she always does for the strays that she brings in. So she degunkifies his brain. <laughs> she gets all of this black madness gunk out of his brain. I wish someone would do that for me. She lifts him up in a surge of green mist, and she forges new legs for him out of scrap metal. Like battle droids on the ground. And then there's this very cool shing noise, and then everything that isn't necessary falls away, and he has Grievous-style cyborg legs in the place of his weird, janky spider body. And then Mother Talzin goes back to where she came from, which is the ectoplasm of Dathomir. She vanishes in a puff of green mist after saying, Arise, Maul, reborn son of Dathomir. So Maul stands up. He tries out his new legs. He gives us some exposition. He was abandoned by his master, Darth Sidious. The Clone Wars began without him. And now he is seeking his revenge on Obi-Wan Kenobi, on the Jedi, and presumably anyone else who stands in his way. He gets the very best line, I would say, of the Clone Wars so far. He says, yes, you and me, Savage, we will start with revenge. Ugh, phenomenal. (laughs) It's phenomenal. So they go to the planet Radonia in the Outer Rim. Which looks a lot like Felucia. It does. It's beautiful. And Maul says there's only one way to gain the attention of the Jedi, the slaughter of innocents. So he does so. 
via Holocron, he taunts Kenobi. He's trying to lure him out of Coruscant. Alone. And Yoda says to Obi-Wan, yes, you have to finish what you started long ago. And he also says that he doesn't think Obi-Wan will be alone. He's going to have an unexpected ally. Da-da-da, that ally is Asajj Ventress. She's sitting at a bar, still apparently doing bounty hunting. She said in the last arc that she was too good for bounty hunting, but here she is in the cantina again, taking a bounty (laughs) on Savage Opress, her old apprentice. It is a million credits. It is a lot of credits. So this is very good news, because when Obi-Wan lands on Radonia, it's him against the Opress brothers, and they are very long odds, my friends. This is not looking great. They beat the tar out of him. They beat the crap out of him. They take him down, they shove him in their ship, and they're busy beating him up when Asajj steps out of the shadows. So she has just enough time to wake Kenobi up and give him one of her lightsabers before the Opress brothers are onto them. It is a sea of red lightsabers. It is the duel to end all duels. And then Obi-Wan steals his blue lightsaber back from Maul. And it is Kenobi versus Maul. And the odds are dire. Because Maul says, how did you feel when I massacred your master in front of you? How did that make you feel? He's fighting like a Sith. So he's taunting Obi-Wan about murdering Qui-Gon, his old master. It's completely unbalancing him. He and Asajj are way out of their depth. They realize this. They escape together in the cockpit of the ship. And the season ends with Maul and Savage floating in space, patiently waiting for the Jedi to come after them once again to enact revenge. Ta-da! That's season four! Wow, what a wild ride. So, Tim, welcome on. Welcome, Tim. This is Tim from Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Hello. Hello, hello. Okay, Tim, what did you think? Give us everything. Tell us everything (laughs) you thought. Do you have that much time? Yes, (laughs) we do. (laughs) For you, anything. You know, the thing is, is that I am such um, a big fan of Darth Maul. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's one of my, he is literally one of my favorite villains in all of Star Wars fandom. And so for him to be able to come back was really cool. Now, when this episode first aired, I was really confused as to, A, how they were going to bring Darth Maul back, why they were going to bring Darth Maul back, because at this time, I really wasn't a fan of his. Mm. Um, you know, So my fandom for Maul has grown. I think a lot of it has to do with, with Sam Witwer's acting and his portrayal of him. Uh, and then to be confused by the, this whole spider body thing he's got going on, right? You know, the... Yeah, you know, I couldn't figure out where that came from and why and and all that, but yeah, there's there's so much going on in that in that first episode, and uh, over the years of rewatching and and everything, having coming to appreciate Clancy Brown as as Savage, and what he did did you know did there, and uh, yeah, it's just really cool. I will say so much of Brothers, especially which is the first episode in this arc, was not what I was expecting because as a new viewer. The only time we've seen Maul since The Phantom Menace is in Mother Talzin's crystal witch crystal ball. Mm -hmm. And he looks strong and healthy and together and very, very determined and very terrifying. And when we come upon him, he is this 
shambling wreck of a spider creature. He is not what I was expecting at all. He is emaciated. He can't speak. He only says no, 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 until finally he starts breaking down and he says crazy stuff. This rambles. Yeah. One of the things he says is, through victory, my chains are broken, which is part of the non-canonical Sith code. But then he says the chains, the chains were the easy part, which calls back to one of Sam Witwer's earlier roles when he was the brother in the Mortis arc, because that's what the brother said when he was a little creepy goblin holding Mm -hmm. Ahsoka hostage. So, Tim, we have to mention this right away. You got the chance on Funny Science Fiction Podcast to interview Sam Witwer himself. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about that. Tell us how that changed your opinion on Maul. Well... It affected my view. Now I was now before Sam came on the 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 podcast, I was already a fan again of Maul because mm-hmm. of the Clone Wars and everything else. But one of the, one of the things that that Sam talks about is this episode right here and the depths of Maul's psyche and the, and how broken he really was. Because and he even mentions it in, in um, once he gets his memory back, you know, mm-hmm. but later about how you know it's. You can almost hear the disappointment in his voice to find out the Clone Wars started without him. Yeah, you know, there, there, it, it, it's, it's almost. If you really listen to that, if you listen to that, that little soundbite back to back, just kind of listen to the the tone that Whitworth puts into his voice. It's almost heartbreaking because you can feel the disappointment. You know that he knows that they began this without him, and he was looking forward to being, you know, the apprentice to the most powerful being in, in the universe. Well, he speaks about that a lot. He says that's like the heights he's fallen from. Yeah. And so he went from this really high position all the way down. And so Sam talks about that. And he also explains why he has this junk body, which was really kind of cool and very helpful for me because I didn't understand it. He says, you know, there's the Sith are always trying to fill an emptiness. And that's why Mm. they, they gravitate towards the dark. And as they fall down, and as as he fell down mentally, emotionally, and all these different things and felt abandoned and, and left behind, his mental state began to break. And as that was the case, he's on this junk planet and he just starts he starts pulling things into his void, starts attracting it to himself. And over time it became a junk body because wow. he was attracting all this junk to himself to fill what he was missing in that case was his legs was his ability to move about and function and that was what he was missing and so he pulled it into himself to make himself whole but it only made him physically whole not mentally or emotionally and those other things were were at that point so far gone that is so fascinating because one of the notes that i wrote down about brothers was how did maul end up on lotho minor at all and did he bring himself to a junk planet because he thought that's what he was at this point junk like discarded remnants of what he used to be something whole and something useful he does call himself filth a bunch of times yeah yeah so i'm not sure how he got to lotho minor i don't think sam ever really mentioned that just he just said that you know this is where he's at this is why he's in the position that he's in and you know and then he's got uh, Morley, the the snake thing, helping him out get to to feed him. And by the way, killer impression of Morley. By the way, that, <laughs> thank you. That was fantastic. Yeah, um, attention, any animal lovers. The snake does die in this arc. Yeah. So, <laughs> but he's a creepy snake. He's a creepy snake. Yeah. All all snakes are creepy. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, not a fan. So, uh, 
I figure that what happened was that after he gets uh, 50% off sale on Naboo, he gets sent down to some reactor, and then the reactor gets cleaned out and sent to Lothal Minor as trash because there's these creatures, the fire eaters, which are big mechazoid fire mm-hmm. maw creatures that will eat whatever. So if it's nearby, that's your junk planet. Interesting. Yeah, I do love that we see scavengers on Lotho Minor. Mm-hmm. They're creepy. Yeah. We get a sort of Lotho Minor flavored Jawa, which is delightful. Yeah, the junkers. One of the, the things that I, I like about this episode, too, is, it, and we see this throughout the Clone Wars, it, it, it kind of pops up uh, as a continuing theme, is the blindness of the Jedi to what oh, is really yeah. going on. Yeah, say more. You know, and so here we have Yoda. He's calling out the fact that something's happening. He doesn't know what, you know, and you know, you, you have the strongest for one of the strongest force wielders in the galaxy cannot sense that a it's Darth Maul B that there's a, a very powerful Sith power rising. All he knows is that, that there's something going on and they're, they're going to have to figure out what it is. And it's that story line that continues from, from season one to season seven is a continual thing because you know, we always talk about Yoda being so powerful, being so intelligent, mm-hmm. being so one with the force, right? So here's a guy who's powerful, one with the force, intelligent, knows all these different things, can't see the evil because the 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 way that the force was operating in turning towards the Sith. So the balance had shifted, it had gone away from the light, had now going towards the dark throughout the entirety of the Clone Wars. You know, Maul specifically references that in Revenge. Because as mm-hmm. soon as he gets his sanity back, he says, do you feel the imbalance in the force? Yeah. And then Savage is like, yeah, there's a war on. You've missed a bit. How you doing? Can you use the force now? And yeah. that that change of imbalance. We've talked a little bit about how uh, Sidious's plan seems to be one mainly of obfuscation and obfuscation of the Jedi precognitive abilities through mass death. And so perhaps that's part of it is that because there's a war on, it's harder to tell things and that an insane mall is functionally a non-force user, not in tune with the force and not able to actually be recognized as a force sensitive right. being. It is such a simple but brutally effective smoke and mirror show. What what Sidious is doing. No, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, the 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 whole line through, um, you know, once especially once Maul gets his his memory back that's the only time where they all of a sudden they're like oh no it's Maul mm-hmm. you know as soon as he as soon as uh you know mother Talzin gets done and you know gives him his memory back and she's done doing the voodoo that she do uh you know boom it's 100% right there Yoda knows exactly who it is what's going on yeah. i did find it interesting though that he knew that there there could be an assist coming but he also didn't know that it was going to be Asajj, and he didn't mention that it would be Asajj. Or I, and I also, I've also always wondered: Did he not tell Obi Wan that who the assist was going to come from because he would have his defenses up and not take the help? Interesting. So one thing that I thought about that I thought about this totally differently from you, Tim, possibly because I've only seen this once and I did not watch it twelve times this week as you did, which is just <laughs> such a commitment to the research. I love that. 
What I was thinking was that Anakin, as a powerful Force user himself in the diner with Ahsoka, can only tell that there's a disturbance in the Force. And I was thinking that in comparison to that, Yoda has a lot of clarity. He knows mm-hmm. that this is an old enemy of Kenobi's. He knows the general vicinity of you know, where this darkness is happening. And he was able to at least point Kenobi in the right direction. And right. then the idea of like a fortune cookie of help will arise from an unexpected quarter. He's like, that's the best I can do, man. Like, <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I thought about that too, from the, the line of Anakin uh, being as powerful as he was going to become. Why couldn't he sent some of these things early on? And I, th- I think that, you know, in season four of the clone wars and what we've seen through, you know, movies attack of the clones, um, it isn't in, until we get to the point of the the third movie, right? Uh, episode three, you know, Revenge of the Sith, where we actually see Anakin being a much more powerful force user. Yeah. I don't think that his his uh, cognitive abilities with the force are as strong as they could have been. He was nowhere near Master Yoda at that point, in my opinion. I think that he's still developing and st- because he's he's in that that space between um the young man who just lost his mother and and slaughtered a whole bunch of uh, sand people, and the you know and dealing with that loss and getting to the point you know in, in Attack of the Clones, uh, you know the second movie, and now he's he's in the between those points where where um, the Emperor hasn't quite put the full court press on him yet. Mm-hmm. You know there's there there are definite moves that the Emperor is making to get into Anakin and let Anakin you know start seeing parts and bits of of the dark side but that hasn't happened yet so when when he gets to the diner i don't think he has the ability to see any more than there's a disturbance in the force i really think that his abilities are so limited at that point that he hasn't become that all-powerful force user that we're used to seeing later on in life as darth vader well so we know from phantom menace because when qui-gon jinn rip is questioning Anakin, baby Anakin, he says, or Shmi, he says, does he sometimes see things before they happen? Now, the theory I'm developing in my head as you're speaking here, Tim, is that Yoda has an incredible range on his precognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. Anakin has accuracy uh, locally and just a little while, because that would make an incredible combatant is someone who sees what the enemy's going to do about five seconds before they do it. And that kind of explains why Anakin is like the person he is who just like will walk into an artillery barrage and not worry about it. Cause he's like, they can't hit me. I'm moving right. the wrong speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the reverse matrix. He knows what's happening. But then Maul knows exactly what's supposed to be going on because he's been in on the plan from the very beginning. And now he's looking back on what he learned from his former master Sidious and is like, I yes, I'm aware of all of this. So, Tim, as you were describing what happened in these arcs, it made me think about the symmetry of these episodes with the prequel era. And I want to talk about it really quickly, because as you were describing Anakin slaughtering the Tusken Raiders and Attack of the Clones, it made me think that Anakin slaughtered innocents to protect or save the one that he loved. And it made me think about Savage doing the same thing in these episodes in his quest to find his brother. Yeah. And the way that Savage found Maul was by being 
brutal and by being Mm -hmm. ruthless and by giving nobody any quarter. And then Maul turns around and does the same thing. And it brings to mind what George Lucas loves to say. It's poetry. It rhymes. And how their, their journeys are so similar, even though we want to think of Anakin as someone who's on a totally different side of the force than the oppressed brothers. But really, when you look at his actions, he is very, very similar to them in his journey and his trajectory, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, you know, I mean, there's, when you look at the way that stories are laid out and the way that George Lucas lays out his stories, like you said, there's always that poetry. This, this, and that's way, and that's also partly because of the way that the force has been built. Mm-hmm. for us to be able to understand it in order for this to happen that has to happen and then that then that means well if this has happened then this other thing that's equal and opposite also has to happen because there always has to be some level of balance in the force and the force is always trying to achieve balance so when it comes to you know this the storyline and you know you talk about the part of their journey Oppress uh, Savage, rather uh, Savage Oppress, when he's when he's looking at Darth Maul and he wants to protect him, and he's looking to find him. First, when he's looking to find him, he goes through and he just kicks everybody's butt who stands in the way. Right, mm-hmm. that poor that poor person at the diner. I felt so bad for them. Like they're just having they're just having breakfast. Well, yeah. and how about the, how about the the ship pilot that he yeeted out onto Lotho Minor? <laughs> right? What From happened like to that guy? Up. Yeah, because yeah, that guy just basically drove past where he thought his brother was because you know the the talisman that he had on his you know his chest started glowing. It was like you drove past and he was gone. Yeah, and then because once he has Maul back and Maul's memory is back, Maul wants to attract the the attention of the Jedi. So what's the best way to do it? To go on a killing spree of the innocent. And Savage does not you know buckle to this. He doesn't you know he doesn't give any any. Uh, fight to it he's like okay yeah let's let's just do it because he's there to protect the one that he loves Mm -hmm. and that's a continual storyline when when there are two people working side by side and one loves the other one they're just you know they seem to kind of fall in line and do what the other one needs and you'll see that a lot even between anakin and ahsoka you know uh, ahsoka will go do something because that's what her master's doing and she may not always agree with it but she has and i'm not when i say love between the two i'm i'm of course talking about a, a a platonic love you, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. but she loves anakin mm-hmm. and she loves her master and she wants to please her master and so she is doing what she needs to do and, and she may not always agree but she jumps in and falls in line it's the same thing now because of course maul <laughs> doesn't give savage the choice tells him you will be my apprentice of course he told him with a chokehold so mm-hmm. i think that kind of you know that was the agreement i'll let you go if <laughs> if you'll be my apprentice uh well so the the beautiful symmetry of this, right, is that this is a story about masters and apprentices, too, because it's a story about relationships. Yeah. Obi-Wan, haunted by Qui-Gon's death, his former master. Maul, haunted by his master abandoning him and leaving him for dead. And when Asajj walks out of the shadows on the ship in the in the climax of Revenge, it's Savage actually being haunted by his own former master, too. And Asajj yeah. trash-talking by saying... Ah, my failed apprentice and your apparently half-brother. The trash talk is so strong in this episode. <laughs> well, I love it. As soon as Ashaz shows back up, because that's part of the unexpected quarter that you were talking about. When Asajj shows up and she slaps Obi-Wan back into existence, he says, oh, what a lovely sight to wake up to. And she says, don't kid yourself, Kenobi. You're never much to look at. And then it becomes banter 
because Kenobi gets back into his mode of saying, you know, because he's been he's been trying to keep Maul talking as opposed to killing him, saying, I like your new legs. They make you look taller. But you can tell he's up against the ropes because his other line is when I cut you in half, I should have aimed for the neck, which is the meanest thing that Kenobi has said in a long time, a long time. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that you I also love about this, that whole time in the ship where they have Kenobi there and they're kicking his butt if he want, you know, and I know that Darth Maul wanted his revenge and typically in with most villains, they delay the inevitable. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he wanted revenge, he should have just he had him down laying on the ground. He should have just taken care of business right there. Just he could have 86 Obi at any point. Yeah. But he, he does what every villain ever does. He gets on. He goes through this massive monologue and telling him all the things that he didn't really need to tell him and it's it just it's one of those those storytelling tropes that that snuck its way into this episode and i'm sitting there and i've, I've always kind of laughed at that that here's darth maul walking around you know talking down to, to obi-wan who's who's beaten he's he's physically beaten at this point you know him and savage have uh, done a number they have rung obi's bell to here and back he, he could have killed him but instead he talks long enough for Asajj Ventress to show up, right? And then all of a sudden, it's it's a whole different story. And the revenge that he wanted is no longer available because now he has somebody else to deal with. Not to mention seeing Obi running around with a, a Sith saber is kind of trippy. Incredibly cool. That is why I was thinking that I love that we named this arc the Asajj and Maul arc. Mm-hmm. Because as a new viewer, the Clone Wars has actually given me many more reasons to be invested in Asajj and Savage. Maul, I met once at the end of The Phantom Menace, and he pops out of nowhere four seasons into The Clone Wars, and I don't yet have that emotional investment in him. So for me, Asajj and Savage are just as much a part of this story as Maul. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I want to talk about another person's story who this is, and that's Mother Talzin. Mommy T! So Mother Talzin, the the story is she was working with Darth Sidious to become his apprentice. And Sidious steals her child, Maul. And so this is, goes back to all the previous Night Sister arcs is that Talzin has been attacking Dooku. She sent Asajj to work for Dooku to help uh, Dooku overthrow Palpatine. She sent Savage to Dooku to overthrow Dooku because Dooku threw away Asajj. And now she's resurrecting Maul as something else. It's like she's playing some other game of revenge at some deep level. Right. And one of the things she says is because Savage Opress lands on this planet. He's stepping all these nights. So she's like, what happened? Like, what, what's going on? I didn't kill these people. And she says, we've been destroyed, but we will rebuild. Yeah, we'll survive. We always do. And that shows that Talzin is also someone who's playing the long game. And in the whole of Star Wars, there's only two, three people actually playing the long game. And Yoda's not one of them. Yoda is purely right. reactive. We talk all the time about how the Jedi are playing checkers, and then there's two people playing chess, and his mother Talzin and his Palpatine. Yeah. Well, I should say Darth Sidious. No, you're 100% right on that. 
There's something that I love that Mother Talzin does, which is that damaged people crawl back to her and she fixes them. Like, do I love Maul? No. Did I love Mother Talzin putting Maul back together? Yes, I love that. I love that. It's almost like the uh, the scene in Toy Story when the cobbler is like putting Woody back together. I love fi- <laughs> like I love fixing broken people. Maybe that tells you a lot about me that I unintentionally just reeled. But it's almost enough to make me forget that Mother Talzin weaponized Savage and stole his life away just a season ago. Yeah, she she forced him to kill their other brother. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of interesting when you're talking about. Uh, the line of of things that she's thrown at Palpatine and Dooku to try and overthrow all this and and kind of correct the ship from from her line of sight it reminds me of the the old adage of you know the mouse got in the house he sent in a snake well then the snake overtook mm-hmm. so he sent in a fox and you know and that's what she's doing she's well this one didn't work so I'm gonna send this one after this and now okay that one didn't work so I'm gonna try this now I'm gonna do this again okay well I have an opportunity to bring this one back mm-hmm. and you know because admittedly. Out of all these other previous ones, Maul is the strongest. By far. He has, by far. And he has the greatest opportunity of any of them to put up the fight that she needs. You know, it, you know, I don't want to give too many spoilers away for moving forward, but that's not what happens. You know, so she is. But th- that was the premise with what she with what she went for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Mother Talzin's family of terrifying children. I, I love that for her. <laughs> it also Sounds shows- like a- Sounds like a roving carnival. Mother yeah. Talzin's family of terrifying children. I mean, it also shows the way she approaches the world because she is somewhat thinking like a Sith. So the first mm-hmm. logical thing we hear out of Maul, this entire arc, is a part of the Sith code. So we know he's still a believer in the Sith code, at least to some extent. When he is rebuilt by Mother Talzin, she says, arise, son of Dathomir which is something that she said to Asajj when she gave her her uh, ectoplasm baptism last episode, which mm-hmm. is arise as a true night sister. Mm. And so she's creating people who are following her ideals and taking away from them these crazed Sith ideals. Here is something delicious that I noticed in the screenwriting for this episode. By the way, shout out to Katie Lucas, who wrote both of these episodes, and she did a phenomenal job. The dialogue is so snappy and so on point. But something beautiful that Mother Talzin says, when Savage lands on Dathomir and Maul is hiding in the ship, still in his spider form, she says... Come, child of Dathomir, when she resurrects him, lets him rise again, fully formed, she calls him son of Dathomir. Like mm-hmm. when he was broken and lost, he was just a child. And now that he is fully formed again, he is her son. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And I I agree with your your assessment of Mother Towns and what she's trying to do, wanting to to create. But I also find it interesting that the people that she's trying to create and bring back into her fold don't have the same ideals as her once once they get out and get going. Because now you look at what she did with Asajj. Asajj, she wanted to, you know, um, when she brought her back, you know, to be a night sister, um, Asajj like, mm, no, I'm going to go be a bounty hunter. Well, uh, and, and, you know, well, yes and no. Hold she, on. I'm, I'm building you a clock. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> We're picking up what also, you're putting down. But then also... When she brings back Darth Maul, son of Darth Amir, she wants him, you know, but the second that he's able to, 
he goes right back to his Sith ideals of master and apprentice that there are, there can only be two. Mm-hmm. And so then he, you know, immediately takes his brother. And I mentioned this earlier about, you know, putting him in a chokehold. Hey, you're going to be my apprentice. I'm going to be your master. And so it wasn't even a, a he changed it from a, being a, a family style relationship, which I think was what uh, Mother Townsend was trying to build in her own Mother Townsend kind of way. Right. Yeah. Um, but he saw it as master and apprentice and took that familial feeling away and put it into master and apprentice. I think that's how you know that there are some characters in this arc that are Sith down to the bone and some who have moved on from the Mm -hmm. Sith way of life. Because you mentioned that Sam Witwer tells this beautiful story about the Sith, that they're empty inside. And when Maul was consigned to Lotho Minor, he had to pull all of the metal and the junk in to fill his emptiness. Asajj is no longer a Sith. She was reborn right. a night sister. She's something different. So I think she is now following a totally different paradigm than Maul and Savage are. Agreed. So it, it makes total sense that Maul is reverting to what he knows. But Asajj has grown beyond that. So I think that's why we're seeing that Asajj is capable of charting this new course and even helping out Obi-Wan. Not when she when she doesn't have to, right? But Maul doesn't know any different. And Savage doesn't know any different either. Right. Yeah. I think any other time that he would have met up with the three of the, you know, if my them, I mean, Obi meeting up with the three of them, you know, uh, Savage, Maul, and, and Asajj, any other time she would have joined in with the, the Oppressed Brothers and would have yeah. gone after Obi and he would have had three Siths on his hands. And he would have died. And he, oh, he would have been done. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's no way he would have survived that. I mean, let's be honest with you. Uh, had she not jumped in and took up against the Oppressed Brothers, we would not have a, a, a season of Obi Wan to watch on uh, yeah. in the month of May. So, <laughs> blessed <laughs> because all of them so, are you, like equally efficient uh, lightsaber fighters in their own way. Asajj yeah. has a very cool, very acrobatic style. Obi Wan has his defensive style. Um, Maul is mostly kicks. He's trying out his new metal legs in this episode, but yeah. Savage has his absolutely brutal dual lightsaber, which he shows off when he's fighting the Junkers, because mm-hmm. you don't get to see terribly much of that double lightsaber, but it looks great when they're just spinning it around and chopping yeah. through crowds of people. He is so graceful, and I noticed the difference in his body language. So Tim may or may not know that I'm a big Savage Opress fan, and I'm a little embarrassed okay. to say it because she of this She likes arc. him hunky. I like him hunky, but he's my big sad baby, right? Like I have this whole theory that <laughs> Savage is a good person inside and he's fighting to break out of this weaponized shell that he has been shackled to, which I will admit is a little harder to defend in this arc. The 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 data is thin on the ground I mean, to support this who one. Who among us hasn't caused an incident that involved the police at an IHOP in space? That is an excellent point. Okay. <laughs> But what I love is that when he's walking, his body language is so brutal. He doesn't walk gracefully. He he leads with his shoulders and he sort of shambles. But when he whips out that lightsaber, he is graceful and fast and completely terrifying. I think for the first couple, if you watch him, I'll agree with that for the most part. But I think for the first couple seconds of his fighting, it's the carrying on of the clunky. Because his first couple swings are just you know, blunt force trauma. He's just swinging to get people back. And then he kind of, you can watch him kind of go into a defensive mode. And then the artist 
kind of comes out and he starts defending himself a little more gracefully. But those first couple swings, especially if you against the junkers, mm-hmm. he's just swinging to get them back. And that's just, that's just, you know, he's just thrashing them just to get them to get through them. And then he starts, then he starts really going. And then, you know, then, then the artistry of, of being a lightsaber wielder kind of shows up. If, if you like lightsaber battles, this is a fantastic episode for it. There's a absolute, the final battle in between Asajj and Kenobi versus Maul and Savage Press in this cargo hold filled with cargo boxes is absolutely bonkers. It is close in. It is brutal. Yeah. And, uh, but one of the things that I think is really important is that moment when Maul makes his psychological warfare attack against Obi-Wan. And I wonder, because it's been, what, 10 years since they've seen each other? At Something least. like that? At least, yeah. Yeah, and so Obi-Wan is presumably a far better combatant than he was, and I'm not sure the canonicity of this, but he took up the Soryesu form, which is the defensive form after Qui-Gon died, so he could defend others. Mm-hmm. And so Maul is like, whoa, you're way better at sword fighting. And I'm a little out of practice on two legs, eight legs. I'm fine. But two, I don't know. And so he goes after his heart. And then once he does get Obi-Wan angry and you can tell that Obi-Wan's angry because his hair is animated, is a little you know, disheveled, he, uh, he gets his clock cleaned. Obi-Wan is just like on the floor getting wrecked. And that's when it's time for them to bounce. One thing I did yeah. notice that I loved about this lightsaber duel is that Kenobi, when his back is up against the wall, he goes for the high ground. He leaped <laughs> into the upper level that Asajj was on previously to get the high ground to gain the advantage, which quickly was you know, evaporated because Maul is a terrifying opponent. Well, you don't want to hang out on the floor where the uh, Cuisinart of Savage Opress is. Yeah. But that goes, the, the point I was making here is that Recall in the Clone Wars movie that the Sith fight with their emotions. And that's how Asajj originally fights. She's fighting, going after people's emotions because that is where their strength arises from. And emotions are where Jedi's weakness comes from. So attacking a Jedi's weakness is a way to gain your strength. But Maul is the only one who actually like knows, who's actually able to get that knife and twist it in Obi-Wan. Right. Because of their history. Because of... You know, mm-hmm. everything that they've been through, the, the fights that they've gone through, uh, everything that happened in Phantom Menace, you know, that's there's definite history there for him to be able to pull back on. And that's I think you see that in this episode coming to fruition. He's really he's like you said, he's 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 not just twisting the knife. He's pulling it back out, putting pouring salt on the knife blade mm-hmm. and then putting it back in. Oof. You know, there's he's really trying to inflict emotional damage. Yeah. As much as he can, as you know, he wants to be able to hit. He wants to be able to hit Obi where it hurts the most because he knows that's still a, a very soft and sore spot. And I think they do a really good job with that in this episode too, showing the emotional side of Obi Wan, the the hurt that he feels when uh, Maul starts talking about Qui Gon. Yeah. As soon as he starts talking, you can see the animators change the face, they the the, the his stance, everything. It's a very emotional topic for Obi, and the, and they they. I think they do a good job of pulling that through. I think the the really subtle part about Kenobi, especially in Revenge, is that his heart isn't in this fight. He walks onto Radonia 
already seeming defeated. I think he senses that there's an inevitability about this fight, and he's not fueled by revenge as Maul is, and he's not fueled by love as Savage is, you know, his love for his brother. He's fueled, if anything, by grief or a sense of duty, and that's just not as strong. Or a sense of you got to finish this job that you thought was already done, mm-hmm. which is kind yeah. of just annoying. I almost picked it up as a sense of obligation. He yeah. had to do it. Yeah, yeah he, duty. You know, it, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sense of duty, sense of obligation. He felt that he just, again, something I have to go do. All right, I'm here. Let's get this over with. And I think because of that, because he went into this with that line of sight, it limited him to be able to know that something else was going to happen and that he should be more defensive. And that's why Savage was able to come down and get the the upper hand on him to start the proverbial butt kicking. Yeah. Something else that Maul probably didn't know or maybe could feel but didn't know would be I'll bet that Obi-Wan is sore to this day about Qui-Gon dying because he feels like he's not actually a good master for Anakin and that he's the reason for Anakin's failings because Anakin was supposed to be Qui-Gon's Padawan. And if that had been the case, it would have worked out better and Obi-Wan wouldn't feel pulled in so many directions because he's a high-ranking general in this battle going on all the time. He's like, I got Anakin to take care of. I can't even take on a Padawan myself. I still need to take care of Anakin, even though he's like sketchy, but I can't do anything about it. And then he's still my baby. And even Maul's like, he's hey. all grown up. Well, Maul says, and they call you master. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's like, yeah, ah, do I even deserve that title? Because sure, I brought the chosen one up to be a Jedi Knight, but did I do a good job? And then then he says, we're outmatched. And I don't think Kenobi means we're outmatched. Asajj versus, you know, Asajj and Kenobi can't take on these guys in a lightsaber fight. I just don't think they can take them on psychologically. Ooh. No, I agree with you. Because I think that what happened in, inside of that uh, um, storage room on the ship is he got into he got into obi's head mm-hmm. and you know all these things that he brought up all the things that he was saying like i said he pulled out the knife he poured salt on it pu- pushed mm-hmm. it back in then he turned it and as he's doing these things all these things that you just mentioned sam are the things that that obi's now dealing with yeah and it's bringing back a lot of old feelings so i i kind of felt the same way as soon as you said we're overmatched i was like no you're not but you know thinking looking at it like that yeah they were overmatched it was a it was a mental matchup that I think Obi was discussing at that point. He dragged out Obi-Wan's imposter syndrome and just stomped on it. (laughs) With his metal legs. With his metal legs. (laughs) He double dutched on it just right there. Just boom, boom, boom. (laughs) So this actually, this line of thought, if it intrigues you on how to be inside, we've talked a little bit about being inside someone's OODA loop, their uh, observe, orient, decide, and act loop, which is how fighter pilots make their decisions of you get inside someone's loop. Another good resource for understanding that that I think is really interesting is the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Mushashi written in the 1500s, talking about sword fighting and how you need to, uh, one of his nine rules is do not think dishonestly, because you need to be honest with yourself. Otherwise, your enemy will be able to expose your lies. And when they do, you are weakened. This has been your PSA from 1500s Japan. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Since we're talking a little bit about Japan, I just want to bring up quickly that I found out a fun fact in my research for this arc, which is that the original character design for Maul back in The Phantom Menace when he was played by Ray Park was Japanese demons. As we Definitely. all know, Star Wars has a long and storied lineage of being a samurai story in addition to the Arthurian legend. So I thought it was really cool that they brought in the nightmares from Japanese mythology to bring to life this nightmare that popped out of nowhere. Yeah, you definitely see that with the Oni masks. That's very cool. Very cool they did that. And one of the things I I like to, I'm going to reference back to the the Sam Witwer interview just for a, a, a brief second, if you don't mind. You know, we were talking about, you know, seeing Maul's character develop through these two episodes. Now, the cool thing is Sam talks about that uh, to the fact that everybody saw him as this strong, silent type, because that's what we saw in Phantom Menace. And he said that, you know, in order to develop the character, they had to move away from that Mm -hmm. because they had to be able to move away. So how do they do that? So they decided that they should show him broken and beaten. And so that what that way, when he came back. They were able to start developing, and as the seasons go on, you'll see them add different character, uh, I you know, plots to him and different personality twists to him uh, as as the the seasons of Clone Wars go on, and you see more of Maul show up. But they said he said that the reason why he was silent in Episode One is because he was being a good soldier. He was standing on circumstance and doing the things that he had to do to be the good soldier. And then they follow that up now with him coming back and saying, I was the apprentice to the, you know, the the strongest being in the universe and then being Mm -hmm. disappointed because of missing the start of the clone wars and all these different things. So here's that adds just a little bit more to Maul's mental state. Here he was standing on circumstance, doing the things that he had to do to be a good soldier. Now here he is the abandoned soldier the the forgotten soldier and he's heartbroken he's crushed and now he wants his revenge for sure and it shows because now he is a major contender in the galaxy for the forces of danger you know there's there's a handful of people in the galaxy who have the will and the power to enact their will and Maul, out of nowhere, out of left field, appears. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, the galaxy is a much more dangerous place at the end of this arc. And one thing interesting for moving forward away from season four, moving into season five, six, seven, uh, and then on into Rebels. And this isn't really a spoiler, but just a kind of a heads up is that as you move forward, you have to remember that now there are only really two people who know who the threat is. That's Palpatine. And that's Maul. And Mother Talzin. And Mother Talzin. And Mother Talzin. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you can't forget and, Mommy Okay, T. so three people. Yeah. So three people moving forward. But the whole time, Maul could have turned the, the Clone Wars on its ear by saying, hey, and this is one of the points that Sam makes. You guys want to know who the bad guy is? You, you can't figure it out? He's right there. That's the guy. Look at him. This is the guy doing all the bad stuff. This is the guy doing all the sketchy stuff. Go fight him. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of an interesting thought when you when you kind of, you know, and this is one of the things I love about Star Wars is the ability to see things from a different perspective as as the story grows and as new pieces are added to it, you kind of go, oh, yeah, 
Would you look at that? And then to hear people explain it a little more to me, it adds so much more to the story and makes these, these episodes of Clone Wars even that much more powerful. Mm-hmm. It is time. It is time, Tim, for arguably the best part of growing up Skywalker, which is it's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. <laughs> So, Tim, you have the honor of going first as our honored guest. Who is your bay for the final two episodes of season four of The Clone Wars? Oh, it's Maul. It's Maul. <laughs> okay, show your I'm, work. I'm, I, I'm not even going to pretend. Uh, I have, well, you know, um, I had to hide it really well when Sam was on our show, but I have a little bit of a man crush on Sam. Uh, he's uh, Sam Whitworth's uh, just an awesome dude, and I like his portrayal of of Maul. And so having Maul be able to come back and and do all those other things, it it, it got me very much invested in these two episodes because now I, you know, especially when it was first happening and I I like I said earlier, I was starting from a point of just being quizzical about it and and why they were bringing him back, how they were going to bring him back. And then mm-hmm. then they brought him back and then I was like and I was a little confused and concerned at the end of the brothers episode. I'm like, okay, great. They brought back a spider dude. Then it moved on into, oh, hey, he's back. And uh, he's way cooler than I remember him being. He was just kind of like standing around before, just, you know, all strong and silent type. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to see him in his full mallness, Yeah, we'll call it mallness. Um, his holy mallness. That's Exactly. <laughs> Uh, to me is one of the more exciting things now in, in Star Wars, being able to watch this development. And I get really excited with episode this, this episode 22 with, with uh, bro- uh, not brothers, but revenge. I, I love this episode because it's the beginning of something cool moving forward. And so for me, um, anytime Maul is on screen, he has my eyes. So Maul is where I think the Clone Wars is at one of its most powerful moments, which is that it, brings this deep mythology and these untold characters and it brings them to life and it so deftly weaves these new mythologies into the existing tapestry. So I totally see why this is just a very exciting moment for Star Wars fans. Yeah. I sit there, uh, you know, now when I watch these episodes, even as much as I honestly, I did watch these episodes a whole lot this week and even with watching them every single time we got into episode 22 and he gets his memories back and he comes back as mall i'm sitting there like <laughs> okay <laughs> he's back yeah. uh you know hands and face and just very giddily excited it, it every single time i get excited to watch mall come back as mall not the spider boy that yeah. is the bay moment you're like my baby but i love you exactly. so much even though <laughs> you're really oh, scary murderous and back. So. <laughs> my big murder baby that's right Sam, who is your bay? Uh, I'm also going with Maul. Wow! Uh, and it's because a new challenger appears on the chessboard of the galaxy, and I think that's Tim is so giving cool. a fist bump right now, and I love that <laughs> because I, I mean, I'm I'm an original Mommy T cult of Mommy T. I like I want to see how the witches do their their do, and I think that having Maul back to life and released, and something you said, Tim, which was interesting how the kids, how mommy T's kids are all not really falling in line. They're off doing their own things. It reminds me of something that my mom says, which is 
to us kids. She says, you know, you came out with your own personalities. And I think that that's a really cool way of looking at your kids, of just being like, I trust that I raised you or created you or welded your legs back on correctly to do (laughs) the right thing as you see fit. And I'm going to work with that. And I think that Mother Talzin did a really good job of raising all three of her kids, despite the fact that they're all demonstrably horrible people. That's the thing about Mother Talzin's kids is that should we as, you know, forces for the light side of the galaxy, should we, yeah, exactly. Should we be cheering for these three antagonists? Probably not. Do we cheer for them anyway? Yes, because we have yeah. seen so many different cool corners of their stories. Yeah. So Maul as a new challenger, as someone who is, uh, I mean, Sam Witwer's acting, the emotional range is stellar. And this is where, like, these are episodes where if you show them to little kids, it will haunt them. Seeing someone who has the up and the down, the screaming and laughing and crying all within the same breath as well as the spider legs. And then when he becomes son of Dathomir, ready to face the Jedi. And then at the end, because the end of this episode is sane Maul realizing that he can, he's been waiting 10 years to kill Kenobi. What's another couple months? And he can mm-hmm. sit here and he can wait and he can make the whole thing go around his plan now. He's become this incredible new force to be reckoned with. I think that's so cool. He went from this janky spider person to the spider at the center of the web, and he's like drawing the Jedi towards him. It is so cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, those words are going to become more true. Oh, 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 a little precognition from me. (laughs) There you go. One of the things, too, I just want to comment on something you said there, Sam, You know, talking about how uh, at the end, even though Obi-Wan got away, I am most interested in the fact with his mental state that he did not see it as a failure. Yeah. He did not, he did not break him, but he in fact seemed quite satisfied at the end of that episode that he knew the Jedi were going to come after him. He knows it. It's, it's not a question. It's not, you know, Oh golly shucks. You know uh, what do we do? They're going to come after it. He's almost smiling. He knows that it's coming and he's looking forward to it. And that's what gets me excited about Maul. And I think that's because he saw how easily he could defeat Obi-Wan. And now he's like, that's just a snack. I want the whole meal. He wants the meal. Exactly. He's going for the buffet. Yeah. How about you? I'm going to diverge from the veteran fan opinion. My bae is Asajj Ventress. She was... She deserves a mention for sure. Yeah. Great pick. I think this is also Asajj's story. As I mentioned, I haven't spent a lot of time with Maul, so I don't know what is coming next for him. So I'm not as invested in his story yet. What I am invested in is Asajj charting an entirely new course for herself, throwing off the shackles of every life she's lived before. Because as we've spoken about at length, Asajj went from slave to Jedi, from Jedi to Sith, from Sith to Night Sister, and from Night Sister to someone doing something entirely new based on her own code of ethics, making whatever decision seems most right to her in the moment. And I think she's dancing between the dark and the light sides of the galaxy. And you could give me a series on that and I would watch it. So it is 100% Asajj Ventress for me. I can see that. I actually, 
this this part of her story is I think where I like her the most. Yeah. Um, because you know, you're interest you're introduced to her as as this uh Sith assassin, and you know, she's she's impressive as as that Sith assassin as the understudy, but I've never had any I didn't fear her. I, yeah. you know, when she came on screen, I was never like, oh, well, there's Asajj, stuff's about to go sideways. You know, when Var- when Vader shows up on screen, you know, later on in, in, in years, you know, different movies, when he shows up on screen, you, things aren't going to go well. And you know that when Maul comes on screen later on, and this doesn't really give spoilers because he's Maul, um, you know, things are going to go. Si- when Dooku shows up, you know, things are going to go sideways if somebody gets, you know, a little a little too lippy with him. So there's all these things. But I I didn't really start sensing that until. Asajj felt broken and kicked out, you know, and discarded by Dooku. And she wanted to then come back for revenge, her own revenge. And now what she's doing, you know, now and fighting against, you know, the, 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 these, these other two, the oppressed brothers, this is where I felt like she's at her strongest and it's the unknown for her. What is she going to do next? That's why I think makes her a danger. And that's why I think her story is the most interesting. Yeah, she's had this beautiful growth because when she comes onto the scene in the pilot of the Clone Wars, Yoda is talking down to her and saying, you might be powerful, but you have a lot to learn. Dooku is always calling her child, calling her a failure. She's never able to live up to anyone's expectations of her until she throws off those expectations. And I think we're seeing Asajj in this blossoming of her power. And I don't know where she's going to go next, and I might be eating my words in a couple episodes. Who knows? I do that a lot. But I just have this sense that something special is going to happen with her, and I'm so here for it, y'all. Also, she made friends with Kenobi. And she had the best banter. I mean, these episodes had nothing light or fun or tolerable about them until it's back to the Asajj and Kenobi banter show, which has been iconic (laughs) since the Clone Wars movie. This is true. Yeah, agreed. Well, that about wraps us up. Tim, where can we find you? Well, uh, so Funny Science Fiction Podcast uh, lives strongly on our YouTube channel where you can watch video versions of our interviews. You can also, of course, listen to uh, audio-only versions of our podcast at your favorite audio podcast provider, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. There's a whole (laughs) list. Anyway, look them up. If we're not on there and you would like us to be on your favorite audio podcast provider, please let us know. And uh, you can send us a message through YouTube, of course. Uh, and we'd love to make sure that uh, our, our, that our, I got to say this right, because it always gives me our RSS feed uh, is going to all the corners of the universe as appropriately it can. But yeah, uh, we host a live show every Monday night, 7 p.m. on uh, YouTube. You can come in, you can chat with us and uh, all the silly shenanigans we get up to. And then we have a pre-recorded episode released every Friday. And then tell us also about Pop Culture Podcast as well. Pop Culture Addicts. Oh, sure. Yeah, Pop Culture Addicts is my secondary show that I run with Kathleen from Funny Science Fiction. Um, And so Kathleen and I host Pop Culture Addicts, and that has a new episode out every Monday. It's uh, only pre-recorded. We don't do any lives with that show. But uh, pre-recorded, we talk to people all over pop culture. It's not just a sci-fi leading show. Um, We've had everyone from... 
the Tiger Lady Carol Baskin on our show to if you're a fan of Jane's Addiction, we had their drummer Stephen Perkins on the show. Wild. Uh, uh, and Wednesday, I'm a huge hockey fan. I know that this is an audio only podcast, but if they could see my picture, and if you go to Funny Science Fiction, you watch the videos, you'll see in my background there's a lot of Detroit Red Wings things on the on the wall. Mm-hmm. I'm a very big hockey fan. I love the Detroit Red Wings. And Wednesday, I get to talk to my favorite hockey player of all time, Darren McCarty. He's going to be on Pop Culture Addicts. I'm like stupid giddy excited about that. Uh, I've met him once or twice before. Always had very good time talking with him. But we've ha- we're, we'll have him on the show here uh, very shortly. But that comes out uh, again Monday mornings on YouTube and uh, your favorite audio podcast providers. And you also have focused on forward. Yeah, uh, that that show's coming to an end here. But there are three seasons of of some of the most inspiring stories of people overcoming things that I've ever heard. Yeah, it's some very powerful lessons from people who have gone through the worst that life can hand them. And they came up fighting and they came up stronger. And we talk about we don't necessarily focus on on the negative things, you know, because that's not where, you know, the show, title of the show is called focused on forward for a reason. I want to know how they overcame it, how they move forward, how they're able to handle those things and deal with those things in everyday life. Because many times the things that people are overcoming aren't just things that were in the moment, right? It's yeah. things that they have to deal with moving forward. And how do they keep that moving forward? How do they keep the sense of whatever told them that, Hey, it's time for you to move forward in your life. How do they keep that going? That's an audio only podcast. Uh, there is a YouTube channel for it. And I used to do YouTube lives for it, but uh, schedule and life and uh, caring for my daughter um, just, it was all a little too much. So I backed it back down to audio only, but there are still those videos up on YouTube. And if you wanted to watch them and then of course your favorite audio podcast provider <laughs> for uh, the audio only. Y'all should all know that Tim is the most thoughtful and intentional interviewer. He lands phenomenal guests on all three of his podcasts. So if you are a sci-fi fan, please go check out Funny Sci-Fi. If you are a pop culture fan, please go check out Pop Culture Addicts. And if you are interested in the human spirit and its triumph, I really do think you should check out Focus on Forward. So Tim is doing amazing work across all of his podcasts. If I can say one more thing real quick about funny science fiction, if you don't mind. So we're, we have a May the 4th special coming out here in a couple of days. It has a, a, a nice little shout out video from the two people who are nice enough to have me on this show. Um, but uh, we also go through and re-review uh, and just kind of call out all of our Star Wars related content through funny science fiction and pop culture addicts. So basically there's something Star Wars that you can watch from our show every single day for the month of May. That's Awesome. That is so so cool. cool. I do have to say, we left this for the end, and I don't know why, but this episode, Tim, is not only our 50th episode of Growing Up Skywalker, it is launching on our one-year anniversary as a podcast on May the 4th Be With You, which is, I just think, beautiful Mm -hmm. symmetry, and you were the person that we thought of that we wanted to celebrate this with because Uh you've been such a supporter and a champion of us, and we just want to say thank you. Since early days, you reached out really early on this project, and it's been really great to have your support, the support of the whole community. Oh, thank you. We we love you and your shows. Oh, likewise. You know, I I look forward to every single episode you guys have come out. I love your guys' energy. I love what you guys are doing, and um, you know, I, I love the, the, the balance in your guys show. 
uh, you know, the force requires balance and the, your show requires balance. And I love that where you have the veteran and you've got the rookie and there's, there's the conversations back and forth. So this, when you guys asked if I wanted to be on the show, I was like, hmm, yes. So, uh, I, I love your guys show. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I almost feel like I'm on a radio show, you know, uh, long time listener, first time. Caller. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you guys are great. And I'm, I'm so proud to be here. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we have officially finished season four of The Clone Wars, and we have a surprise. Our next episodes are skipping season five, episode one, due to chronological reasons. So next Solid. week, we are reviewing season five, episodes two and three of The Clone Wars. Starting the Onderon arc, which is going to be... Uh, a character from a movie is going to show up in a much younger form. It's going to be extremely exciting. Very exciting. And as always, if you want more Skywalker, please feel free to become one of our patrons. You can find us on patreon.com. Send us an email, tweet at us, send us a Facebook or an Instagram DM. We are on all of the social channels. And you can find us at growingupskywalker.com. And send this episode to someone who has been through an exceptionally rough time and gotten themselves or been put back together. And if you are the person who put yourself back together, we applaud you. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.